Yeah, so two things about me from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And in Michigan, we see Iowa Hawkeyes things all the time. It's really kind of funny where I live. We got lots of them, and it's really because we like that generally Ohio or Iowa beats Ohio State. So that's really what we like about you. So two things about me. One is about my family and about where I serve Christ. Um, I live in a multi-generational family, meaning my parents-in-law live in our basement. And that's fun. They've lived with us for eight years, and I love it. I have three kids. One of them's with me this week. Uh, Titus, who's a senior, he is a drum major for our marching band, and they start practice this week. And so he is stuck at home by himself. The microwave broke last week. And he was the only one at home this week, so the only thing I had to do this weekend was make sure the microwave worked. Right? Because that's what he needs to get through the week. So Titus is at home. Uh, Mason, a girl, 14, she's a freshman, and she is uh, at camp. Our camp is this week. Our junior high camp is this week, so she's at camp. And then we have Ruby with us. And so if any of you have little, little kids, you will see Ruby and I swimming and playing on the playset. That is the whole reason she came with us. She is 12 years old, and she is developmentally delayed, and so she's like about a four-year-old. So we will have fun with all of the four-year-olds this week, and that is our whole goal. And I'll tell you more about that in the coming days. I serve Christ at a church named Good News Baptist Church. It is a church of 80 years, um, and I would consider myself a person who does church revitalization. And it's one of those projects where I'm going to be there a long time. Since 1972, the church has had a split or a group of exodus or something every three to five years. They have gone from 700 people to 100 to 300 to 100. I mean, we just do this all the time. And I've watched it three times happen in my 15 years serving. What's awesome is I believe that my job, what God allowed me to do in this church, is I have to teach a new generation how to really follow Christ. And that's what I get to do. It's pretty awesome. I figure I got another 10 years to kind of solidify that in their minds in what they're doing. So to this week, I, yesterday in the travel here, I listened to the messages the last two days. Man, excellent, excellent stuff. And so my job and what I kind of, we're going to go through the book of Haggai. And I'm going to try to illustrate what you're learning through growing and changing and what that looks like. And so that's really where we're going to sit. Haggai is a book of uh, four messages that happen over three months. And we're going to hit all of them in my four sessions. Um, And so that's kind of where we're going to be with me. I'd like to start by praying, if you don't mind joining me, and then we'll dive into the message. God, you are so good. You wake us up in the morning. You sustain us. You keep us. You have given us breath today. You walk with us during the hard, hard things of life. And you have done so much by sending your son. And I recognize that as we have talked about what it means to change, what it means to biblically 
put off and put on and renew our minds, sometimes we have to see that illustration, both in the lives of people we get to serve with, but also in your word. And I pray that we would enjoy studying a book that um, has a lot of rich things in it and that we'd see a glimpse of you. Thanks for helping us. Help. Thank you for guiding us even as we jump into your word. And thank you for so much. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to tell you now because it might take you a little while. Okay? We're going to be in Haggai. Okay? So you can get there. And really what I'm going to go through is four blind spots. Haggai the prophet's job was to go and talk to Israel and point out their blind spots. I believe there are eight blind spots, and I'm only going to talk to you about four of them. So that's your assignment next week, is to try to go find the other four, okay? If you need them, you can send me an email later, and I will give them to you. But we're going to look at four of them, okay? Four blind spots that Haggai is just pointing out, hey, guys, you're missing this. And oftentimes when we are trying to be Christ's ambassador, other people see things. Other people see problems that we don't see. And they have the opportunity to help us. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, the first blind spot is choice. And we're going to find this in Haggai 1, 1 through 11. So when I say the word fraud, what does that mean? You can, okay, I was told this is an interaction session a little bit. Just so you know, I won't do that tonight, but I was told by him <laughs> that we can interact a little bit. When I say the word fraud, what pops into your mind? Like a definition or a person? Used car salesman. What else? You guys are so awesome speaking. This is great. Telemarketer. I did that for like two years. It was so much fun. Deception. Yes. Politicians. Oh, I got pictures coming up. So one way that when I think of fraud, I think of two people. One is Bernie Madoff. Right? And the other one is a more common or more new one, Sam Baker Fry. Does anybody know who he is? He's the crypto guy that ruined that whole thing that happened about six months ago. They're still trying to find the billions of dollars that are gone. Maybe you think of scams. I have ladies in our church who will get a phone call that says, the police are coming to your house. You need to go to the store, buy two $100 gift cards and call us back and give us the numbers. And they call me and go, Pastor Brian, what, what do I do? Don't go to the store. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Don't. Right? Cons, we think of. Heists, another group. We think about politicians, right? I put them both up there just so that I was safe. <laughs> just in case. Just in case. I am from Michigan. We stopped wearing masks about nine months ago. So <laughs> I still see people wear a mask every day. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'll leave this. Sometimes we think this way, right? 
fraud by definition is wrongful or criminal deception intended to result in financial or personal gain. Fraud is deception intended for personal gain. This is an individual that lies at work for their own personal gain. This can be someone who lies at church for their own personal gain. In Howard City, we had this, where I grew up, we had this guy who started a carpet business. He started going to the Methodist church, and you know what happened? They got carpet. About a year later, guess where he went next? Catholic church. Oh, look, a couple years later, they got carpet. Then he started attending our church. It was a town of 1,500 people. You know what happens. You, you know, like, like you know. We didn't get carpet. <laughs> you know how that works. <laughs> and, and fraud happens in the Bible, too. Joshua, when they crossed the, the Jordan and they went over and took out Jericho, it was an awesome, awesome Conquer, victory. It was great, right? They were so excited. They had done great things. They then went to the next town, AI, right? What happened? Achan. Achan. Achan ruined it. Why did Achan ruin it? Because technically he was a fraud. When they went around and asked everybody, hey, who did, what, what, what's going on? Achan's like, not us. They had to go to his tent and find it. He was a fraud. Over and over in scripture, God talks about these kinds of actions. You have places like Proverbs chapter 12, 22 that says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Wow. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 16, 8 says, better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. That's scary. Now, we don't know much about Haggai, the guy. We don't really know how old he is. We don't know if he lived in Jerusalem his whole life or he, if he came with the crew. I personally believe he lived in Jerusalem during the time that happened before this. But Haggai was sent specifically to communicate a truth. And I want to just give you the background on who Haggai was, the little that we know. It says in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. So that's one time he was mentioned outside of his book. The second time he's mentioned is in Ezra 6, verse 14. It says, So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edu. And they built and finished it according to the command of God of Israel, according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Haggai, the word, means feast, so we can assume that maybe he was born during a feast or something like that. The key things that we know when you look in the book of Haggai, verse 1, he's called a prophet of God. So we know that about him. You get to verse 13, and it says he was commissioned by God. 
No matter what, I mean, we don't really know a whole lot about the guy, but we do know that Haggai recognized that Israel was excited. So let me give you a little history of what's happening, building up to why this book was written. They were excited because Israel had been in exile away from the promised land. They were punished by God away from their land for a long time. And they knew that there was a promise that someday they would be able to go back. And so this group of people that Haggai is speaking to is the group of people that in excitement, they were going back to build the temple. Okay, in summary, that's who they are. And that's why Haggai wrote a book. But there's an issue. They had gone back to Jerusalem 18 years earlier. And so when Haggai comes on the scene, he is talking to a people that were supposed to build a temple 18 years ago, and they didn't, in just really simple summary. And so that's really where we're at and what's happening. And Haggai is pointing out in his four messages over three months, he's pointing out their blind spots and what they should do. Haggai starts in his first message to this group of people and he points out their fraud. Specifically, there are three kinds of fraud that he is going to point out. And so I want to read this passage to you. Haggai, I'm just going to read the first six verses because we're going to stay in those six verses uh, into the seventh verse and then, uh, then we'll jump in. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltil, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jezodak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you have not been filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them in a bag with holes. Thus, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. There are three lies that I want to point out to you. The first is how they used their time. Time was a fraud. In verse 2, Haggai actually says to Israel, you keep saying that the time has not come. The time of the Lord's house should be built. What, what's going on? And he starts by calling out the Israelites and says, hey, you guys got to be honest about your concept of time. They were claiming that it was not the right time to start building the temple. We can't get to it. We're, we're too busy. Now is not the right time. Now, have any of you ever had somebody say to you, not yet? Oh, none of you have. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. So I got teenagers. And they play video games. 
And when I say it's time for dinner, there is this word, this phrase that they almost always say, right? What is it? Just a minute. And Haggai is pointing out, you guys keep saying just a minute. It's not the right time. You keep pointing out not yet. Now, people say not yet for lots of reasons. Now, if my kids are doing homework and they say not yet, I'm fine with that, right? Get it done. If they're on FaceTime with grandma and grandpa, that's okay, right? But there are other times when you say not yet that don't count, that I have an issue with. Sometimes people say not yet, and it's because they don't want to obey. People say that to God. Some people say not yet because they're afraid. Some people say not yet because they don't want to lose their current state of happiness. And Haggai here, he is saying, you keep saying not yet, not yet. They have been saying not yet for how many years? 18. That means a whole generation has not been able to see the temple and worship and have God's presence. How long should not yet last? 18 years is too long. You, you see where he's trying to communicate to them. And he's pointing out their fraud. You keep saying not yet, but you're missing it. You're lying to yourself. This is a blind spot in your life. So that's the first one. Let's go to the second one. The second one is that he's pointing out the fraud that is in their treasure. It says in verse four, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? He's like, look at your houses. They look really nice. Now, let me take you back 18 years to kind of get you the context of what's happening with the building supplies. Joshua and Zerubbabel took these Israelites and they arrived in Jerusalem 18 years earlier. They arrived with the blessing of the king. The king sent them money. The king sent them everything they could so that they could build this temple. Other Israelites we're giving money to them because they know they want this temple built. And so when these people arrive on the scene, they have everything they need. The artisans, the supplies, everything. Now, in that area, Jerusalem was not known for, is not known for, great wood. Tall pieces, none of that. So they always had to outsource that. So they would actually get that stuff sent in. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. For instance, Ezra chapter four, verse 24. Now I'm gonna put these up on the screen so that you can kind of keep up with me, okay? It says this, the work of the house of God in Jerusalem ceased and it was not until the second year of the reign of Darius. So Ezra is tracking what is happening and he notices that the, the, it ceased. It stopped, construction ceased. They stopped in the middle of the building progress. Most historians believe that they got the foundation done, 
but nothing up higher than that. So they had started. They had done something. Then, in Jeremiah 22, verse 14, Jeremiah mentions the kind of materials that they used in the temple. And he says, Who says I will build myself a house with spacious chambers and cut windows of it? I will panel it with cedar and paint it with vermilion. That's in Jeremiah 22, 14. Do you notice a word that's in this passage? Panel. Let me go back to Haggai chapter 1, verse 4. It says this. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruin? Where did they get their building supplies for their houses? The temple supplies. Now, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. It doesn't say, thus saith they stole the supplies from the temple site. But I'm a pretty good guess that when Haggai said to them, boy, those are really nice paneled houses, aren't they? What was he pointing out? Fraud. The temple site, the foundation was built. Just imagine the piles of wood, stone, everything ready. They said, let's stop building. They finished the, the foundation. And they go, well, we need to protect ourselves. So we're going to take up arms. We're going to build our houses. We're going to start our farms. You know, they're trying to take care of themselves. Well, the building supplies are just sitting there. I'm just going to borrow a few. Fraud. They were, what would the king of Persia think if they stole those supplies? He would be ticked. Yeah, you see, they had, they had stolen from the king. They had probably stolen from other Israelites who gave money so that this temple could be built. And Haggai is saying to them, boy, those are really nice houses. Boy, the paneling looks really good. How they used their treasure, they lied. And Haggai is saying to them, you took the money, you took the supplies for your own personal gain. Just like an employer who steals, employee who steals from his employer, the Israelites were literally stealing from the building supplies, I think, for the temple, for their own personal gain. Number three. There's a third fraud that happens, and that is their talents. Israel was exiled to Babylon simply because they did not honor God. They did not put him first. They did not use their talents and the blessing of God, chosen people in their lives. And they just totally missed it for generations. That is why they were Exiled. Samuel says something significant that I think will play into this 
fraud of their talent. He says it in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. He says, and does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. The people during the time of Haggai's preaching were working their fields and they never had enough. You read that in verse 6. They, were, they would make clothes and what would happen? They were still cold. They would make money and they would put it in bags and there would be holes and it would be... like That's what he's saying in verse 6. And they were using their talent to protect themselves, to feed themselves to take care of their family, to house themselves. They were using their talent for themselves rather than finishing the building of the temple. And Haggai in verse six is pointing out, guys, fraud. You are using your gifts and your ability for yourself. It's one thing to do it for a year. It's one thing to maybe do it for two years, but 18 years, seriously? Wow. This is why when he gets to verse 7, he says, consider your ways. This is why in verse 5 he says, consider your ways, because they are frauds in three ways. In their time, their treasure, and their talents. How they use them. And this is where we come to like the big idea. If there's one thing I want you to remember from today, one thing from this morning's message, it is that our actions must reflect a God-centered heart. It is very obvious that when Haggai was preaching to the Israelites, their time, their talent, and their treasure never reflected that they were serving God, that they were God's chosen people. They didn't communicate that at all in their actions. And simply put, Haggai was calling out their actions. And as fo- if you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you claim that he is yours, that demands that our actions reflect a God-centered heart, a being where he is at the center of it. Our actions, when it shows this, there is a, for instance, there's a difference between an obedient steward and a disobedient steward. It is very obvious. As a steward, as an ambassador, as someone that's here to, like our riding for the brand, this is who we are, it demands that we are obedient stewards, not disobedient stewards. And this was Israel's blind spot. They totally missed it. And I believe Haggai, when he came in and he preached this, their eyes were opened. Maybe they didn't realize that they weren't using their time, talents, and treasure correctly. And as we go throughout these messages, you'll see God opening their eyes. Obedient stewards must use time, talent, and treasure. 
And so uh, the rest of my time, I want to just talk about, because uh, I know in the mornings I get most of the parents, right? Our goal is to raise kids, grandkids, raise kids in church, be part of a church that actually lives this way, right? I mean, we want to be part of a church. We want to be part of families. We want to be the kind of people that this is easy, where it's, where it's capable. Now, I can't make a kid follow Christ. We've, I've heard that this week. But we want to make it easy for them. And so let me give you six things. I want to give you six things that maybe are ways that, that help us breed obedient stewards. How do you develop this within the life of your family or within the life of your church or within your ABF class or your Sunday school class? There are things we can do to actually continue to develop this heart where our actions reflect a God-centered heart. There's six of them. The first I want to give you is... Um, regularly adore God. It is one thing to thank God because thanking God for what he's given you can be considered selfish in an individual's heart. It is different from doing that adoring God. When I say adoring God, what that means is you just recognize his character and who he is. God is sovereign. God is the definition of love. God is always with us. God gives us breath. See that? See how I changed that? That's not necessarily adoring God. God is omnipotent. God is all-knowing. And we, if we can have the kind of trait like that, and, and I've started doing that with my family, where we'll sit down at dinner and we'll have conversations, and we will say, how do we adore God? What are the character traits you saw about God today? And I would encourage you, like, like, this should be part of your regular conversation with your family and with your kids. Because when we adore God and recognize his authority in our life, what happens to our hearts? What helps our kids think about? We recognize his authority. And so we got to do that through adoring God. Secondly is, we need to be the kind of people that are thankful that actually say the word, thank you. Assuming that we get a paycheck every week is not the same as being thankful for your paycheck every week. Assuming that you're going to go to church on Sunday and everything's going to go smooth or the kids are going to get watched in nursery, that is one thing. It is another thing to be grateful that someone is allowing you to go to church and watch your kids. There's a difference. And so we have to create this real, authentic, just be thankful and say it. Because when we do that, we're, we're actually molding our hearts. We're, we're doing what we're learning from Brother Craig. We're putting, on, we're putting on thankfulness and renewing our mind by doing it over and over again. Like that's, that's the practical application of that. Another one is we have to grow in contentment. We all have enough. 
Really. All of you probably have enough. I sent my daughter on the East Coast trip. We send our kids out to Washington, D.C. and all these places, and they do that for six days. And I had a long conversation with my freshman, and I was like, so what are you going to do with your spending money? And she's like, well, I want to give, and I want to give, and I'll buy this for this person, this for this person. And I said, do these people have enough? Do they need these things? And it was a great opportunity to just realize we all really have enough. We just really want more. And there's a difference when you teach your kids, when you have that kind of mentality at your house, when you have that kind of mentality even in your church. God has given you exactly the number of people you need. He's given you exactly the talents and that you need to be a ministry centered that reaches your community. Sometimes we have to just be okay with we have enough and grow in contentment. The fourth thing is there has to be this striving for faithfulness. We all strive for something. Most of the time we strive for more, more education, more friends, more known through social media, more knowledge, more, 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 more. That's what Israel got caught up in. They needed more housing, more protection, more food. And so they chose more rather than finishing the temple. And so if we really want to understand what it means to, to have a heart that is God-centered through our actions, we need to just strive for faithfulness. If Israel would have realized, God says this, I'm going to obey and I'm going to build the temple. You know how this book of Haggai wouldn't even be in existence. Number five, we need to evaluate our stewardship. We need to actually do what it says in verse four and in verse seven, or five and verse seven. Consider our ways. How do you use your time? How do you use your treasure? How do you use your talents? We actually have to evaluate that regularly. These are spots where we can be blind that will stop us from riding for the brand. And lastly, and we talked about this, Craig talked about this, we need to be generous. We need to illustrate that to our kids. I took my teenagers in our youth group last week to Missouri on a missions trip. We came back on Friday night. I had 15 teenagers in a 15-passenger van last week. It was awesome, right? It stunk like no other. But one of the things we try to do with our teenagers is we try to teach them to be generous. And it cost us $4,000 to do the mission strip. And they have to raise it. They have to, I mean, they got to do a lot of work for it. And we gave away a thousand of it. Meaning, you missionary blessed us and let us serve. Here's 200. You missionary let us. We want to give you a gift of 200. They wrote the thank you notes. They put the money in the envelopes. They handed it to the missionaries because I want them to know we do this to bless them, not to just go on a mission trip. And we as parents and as grandparents, and we, this is important. If we want people to have their heart, the actions that come out of their lives to be God-centered, we actually have to create an environment where it's easy for them. 
to be able to do it. And if we do these six things, you're just allowing an opportunity for the Spirit to work in their life. And I would encourage you, as you think about how you orchestrate your life, orchestrate your family, even your church, these are some of the things that if Israel would have done or had part of their life, guess what? Haggai probably wouldn't have been written, wouldn't have needed to be written. Father, thanks for your word in the few minutes to think about truth. Thanks for loving us and allowing us to think about how we can consider our ways. And it is a choice of how we lead. You have placed each and every adult that is in this room in a leadership position. They lead themselves. They lead at church. Maybe they lead in a home. Maybe they lead at work. And we want to reflect you. And we, I pray that you would open our eyes to the blind spots that can easily be in our lives. We could be frauds with how we use our time. We could be frauds in how we use our treasure. We could be frauds in how we use our talent. And we need you to open our eyes so that we would honor you. Thanks, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.